We are learning from Joseph. This is Joseph of Genesis. Joseph of um, Genesis 37 all the way through Genesis 50. Genesis uh, surrounds the men of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we're going to learn about some similarities between Joseph and our Lord Jesus. We are not surprised that there would be many similarities between faithful men of old and our Lord Jesus because the whole Bible is about our Lord. Going way back to Genesis 3, when sin first came into the world, God promised that through the seed of woman, that Satan's head would be bruised. That's one of the first promises of our Lord Jesus. And throughout the Old Testament, the, um, the scriptures bring up different prophecies about Jesus. And these similarities between Joseph and Jesus, not necessarily prophecies, but they're undeniable similarities. The whole Bible is about salvation of man through Christ to the glory of God. And we're grateful to be able to take just a section of Genesis and see how it reminds us of our Lord Jesus. You'll see on your sheet here, and for those of you at home, it may be that Brent is able to... Um, show part of this worksheet on the screens so that you may be able to see them as well. But it's just a simple fill-in-the-blank worksheet. Did you guys get one here? Okay. Just a simple fill-in-the-blank worksheet. We'll just work through it. I've listed here uh, about nine similarities. There are many more, so about nine. And I want to do something a little strange here. I want to start with... um, Number eight. I want to start with number eight, and then we'll work back to number one and come down. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. We were there last week for just a little while. Remember when, talking of Joseph last week a little bit. In Genesis chapter 50, I want you to notice something with me. Joseph is speaking to his brothers. I'm going to start in Genesis 50:22. Genesis 50:22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's uh, children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. That's very insignificant. So number eight here, 
both Joseph and Jesus spoke about their own death. Both Joseph and Jesus spoke about their own death. Each of these similarities, of course, we realize that Jesus is perfect in these qualities, but Joseph was faithful in these qualities. And so that's why there are similarities between Joseph and Jesus. But both spoke of their death. And notice Joseph here. Look how faithful this is. I'm going to die, but God. Just let, the, let that phrase stay in your heart for a little while. I'm about to die, but God will. But God will. I think one of the reasons, jo- reasons Joseph is so faithful is because he knew of the big picture of God. He, he knew he was part of a huge picture, a huge working of God, of bringing eventually Christ into the world. So Joseph was able to see what God was doing. And he wanted his brothers, whenever they got back to the land of Canaan, he wanted them to make sure that they would bring his bones into that land. Perhaps as a remembrance of all of these things that have happened in Egypt, and of course the eventual struggle it will be uh, to come out of Egypt, but he wanted them to remember uh, these years in Egypt. Okay, I think this is a very faithful statement made by Joseph, a very courageous statement made by him. And we need to be able to same, say the same kind of thing as we near the end of our life. I die, but God will. I die, but God will. Joseph realized that these years in Egypt, God had created these years in Egypt as sort of a safe haven, if you will, during this severe famine so that he can preserve the seed that was needed to be preserved uh, for the coming nation and for the coming Christ. Joseph could see all of that. It's important in our faith to keep the big picture in mind. It's wonderful to be alive, but our lives are part, a small part of a big picture of what God is doing in this world. Turn back, if you will, And notice in Genesis uh, 40, let's see, Genesis 48, when Jacob is preparing to die. Notice Genesis 48, 21, Genesis 48, 21, it says that Israel, that is Jacob, said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will. Notice that. Same statement. I am about to die, Jacob says, but God will. God will be with you. And if we have the opportunity to speak to our families before we die, we want to say some of the same things. You know, I'm going to die, but God is not finished with you. I'm going to die, but God will do this. God will be with you. Keep doing His will. He says... I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Now take your Bibles and turn all the way over to Hebrews chapter 11. And notice the inspired comment on these events. Hebrews chapter 11. 
And I believe it is verses uh, 21 and 22. Notice this. Hebrews 11, verses 21 and 22. By faith Jacob. See that? By faith Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. His bones. Now, notice how these men died. They died, first of all, worshiping God, and secondly, they died blessing men. They died worshiping God, and they died blessing men. Can you think of a better way to die? Worshiping God and blessing men. That's what we're about. And that's what Jacob was doing when he died. And that's what Joseph was doing uh, when he died. Do you want to die having missed several worship services? Having missed worship to God? Do you want to die having not served your fellow man or not tried to do many good works in the name of the Lord? Do you want to die having known for some time that you've been on the outs with a fellow brother or sister? When we die, we want to be like these faithful men. We want to be ready to die. We want to be busy worshiping God and blessing man. That's what they did. Now, just for a little side note here, look at Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24. They have come back into the land under the leadership of Moses, of course, at first, and then eventually Joshua. Look at Joshua 24 and 32. Joshua 24 and 32. It says there, As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem, in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of, of money. And it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And so yes, they did what Joseph asked them to do. Be sure to bring my bones when you come into the land of Canaan. So both Joseph and Jesus spoke of their coming death. And of course we know Jesus did. Like in Matthew 16 and 21. He began to tell the disciples that he would eventually suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders, the elders and scribes in Jerusalem. And that he would be crucified, be killed. And then he would be raised on the third day. Jesus often spoke of his death. In John 10, 17 and 18, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to, to uh, bring it up again. Jesus, he gave up his ghost. He gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. So Jesus often spoke about his death. That's one thing that kept the disciples in confusion. They could not understand this at first, but eventually they understood how important his death was for the salvation of man. Okay. So number eight. Both Joseph and Jesus talked about their coming death. Any particular comments you'd like to make on that part? 
before we move on. And so what we'll do with this, uh, we'll, we'll notice the both sides of this, what Joseph did and how Jesus is similar to that. And then we'll try to make some sort of application to our lives, and I'll ask you to kind of help me make the application. Going back up to number one now, going to number one. Both Joseph and Jesus was, were despised uh, by their brothers. Both Joseph and Jesus, were, they were despised by their brothers. You remember Joseph and his brothers in Genesis uh, 37 and 1 through 5. Talks about them out taking care of their father's uh, uh, cattle and their sheep. And the brothers often would be lazy evidently they would not take care of business and Joseph was forced to report this to his father and his brothers hated him for that it reminds me a little bit of 1 John 3 I believe it's verse 12 talking about Cain and Abel and you know Cain went wrong because he realized his brother's works were good and his own works were evil. And Cain could have changed his ways, but he didn't. And so the same thing here with Joseph's brothers. Joseph was doing his work, but his brothers were not. And Joseph, because he wanted his father's work to be, to be done properly, he had to report what was going on to his father. And his brothers began to hate him for that. And then, of course, Joseph dreamed some dreams. Okay. What was the first dream he dreamed? Right there in Genesis 37. What was that? Um, well, you're calling it haystack? Kind of like a sheaf? Yeah. Okay, sheaf. Okay. Yeah. So he, he told him in the dream that, that um, we were out in the field doing our work with the sheaves and my sheaf stood up upright and you, you brothers, uh, your sheep bowed down to my sheep. And then he told him about another dream, how that the sun, moon, and stars bowed down to him. He just made his brothers um, hate him even, even worse. And then his father sent Joseph on an errand to check on his brothers in a place called Dothan and beyond. And of course that's when his brothers uh, wanted to try to kill him. And a couple of them interceded and said, well, let's not shed any blood. We'll throw him here in this pit. Reuben had intended to go back and find Joseph in the pit and try to save him. And, uh, but Judah and the others said, well, instead of shedding blood, let's pick up Joseph. Here comes a band of Ishmaelites. Let's sell them to them. And that's how Joseph, he was sold to the Ishmaelites. And then he ended up in Egypt, in Potiphar's house. And then the rest, as we say, is history. Joseph was despised by his brothers, at least at first. So how do we, how do we make the connection to Jesus here? What comes to your mind when we think about Jesus being despised by his people? Okay. Yeah, Miss Julie's saying this very good. If you look in Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6, Jesus does come... He comes to his own hometown, we might say, Nazareth. 
And uh, he was able to do very little good work there. In fact, it says, Mark 6, I believe it is, verse 6, it says uh, he actually marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. And Luke's description of this is in Luke 4, 16 to 30, and he describes it as Jesus being almost just run out of town and they tried to throw him over a cliff, but somehow uh, he escaped. So if you look at Luke 4, like 28, 29, and 30, uh, he's, treated, he's treated rather rudely right there in his own hometown. In addition to this, look at John chapter 1, right quick, John chapter 1. John 1, 10. John 1, beginning in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Notice that. And then jump over to John 3. And notice a little passage there, John 3 and verse 19. John 3, 19, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And so in various situations we see Jesus being rejected. Also, don't forget Isaiah 53 prophesied about this. Isaiah 53, you remember the words verses, somewhere in verses 1 through 3, he was despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so both Joseph and Jesus were rejected uh, by their own, their own people. At least, uh, at least in Joseph's case for a while. Later, after Jesus was going back to heaven, many of the Jewish people did obey. On the day of Pentecost, many obeyed. We even read in Acts 6, verse 7, that a great company of the priests obeyed the faith. And um, we're obedient to the faith, so that's great news there. Okay? So any comments about how that both Joseph and Jesus would, were despised by their brothers? Any more? Yes, Nathan's making a good point. You're not really getting ahead of us. Both Joseph was able to uh, be a source of salvation uh, to his people, to his brothers, and um, also Jesus, of course, is the Savior of the world. And Joseph will make the statement there in Genesis 45 and Genesis 50 that, that God sent him ahead so that he could save or preserve or deliver uh, his his people. Good point. Did, did you mention Mark three twenty one? Okay, Mark three twenty one. Share that with us, Mark.
Okay, so yeah, Mark is mentioning Mark, chapter 3, 20 and 21, where it says, uh, He went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, He's out of his mind. And add to that John 7, 5, where it says that his brothers did not believe in him, at least at first. His own brothers at home did not believe in him. And so he was um, he was rejected at first by his family, but but they they by and by they learned um, they learned better. All right, number two, uh, both were victorious over temptation. Both Joseph and Jesus, of course, Jesus is the perfect one here, but you sure don't read much about sin in regard to Joseph either, even though we know he was a sinner and that he he was not perfect like our Lord. But both were victorious over uh, a temptation. We, we remember Joseph in Genesis 39 and the, the onslaught of, um, of attempts by Potiphar's wife to seduce him. And she used everything in her means. She, she cast her eyes upon him. She used enticing words upon him. Uh, she even reached out and grabbed him. And she made sure that they were all, they were both alone in the room as she made her advances toward him, uh, but it did not, did not work at all. And of course, Jesus was victorious over temptation in the wilderness against, uh, against Satan, as we all remember. One thing to, to be aware of here, what Satan does, sometimes he'll take our greatest assets, and he will cause that to be our greatest temptation. Sometimes our greatest assets, our greatest abilities, our greatest talents, Satan will try to flip that on us and use that against us and cause us to somehow or another become either prideful or lustful and uh, use that against us. Joseph, if you, if you begin to read here in Genesis uh, 39, he was a good-looking man. Uh, he was... Um, very um, just well put together as far as both his life and how he looked. Uh, Potiphar's wife, being an immoral person, uh, she wanted to be with him. And so Satan often uses uh, the very things that have been blessings to us. He tries to set a trap with those things against us. And it seems like he's doing trying to do the same thing with Jesus. You know, he said. He said, you've got this power, Jesus. There's no use you having to, to fast and suffer. Command these stones to be made bread. Use the power you got to make these stones be made bread. And then, of course, he took him up on the pinnacle of the temple of Jesus and, and the devil. And he said, um, you know, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down. The Bible says that he'll give, you, he'll give his angels charge over you. So, of course, Jesus had the power to do anything, but it wasn't the purpose of God, and it certainly wasn't, um, it, was, it was meant for Jesus to go through life and to, and to suffer and to live and to be example for people, and so he did not succumb to the temptation of Satan. But it does seem like Satan will take the things that we've been most blessed with and try to turn them on us and then trap us and get us to either be lustful or prideful 
You think about, there are some people who have refused to worship God properly through singing because they're, they're excellent musicians. And they feel like they, they have the right to bring their mechanical instruments of music into worship because God has blessed them with that ability to play those instruments. Well, that would be a case where, uh, yes, they've been blessed, but they've also allowed Satan to turn that uh, on them. Uh, many people like Joseph have a goodly appearance and, and very popular, and people will be drawn toward that. And that very blessing uh, is turned on them. Many people are blessed with a lot of money, and sometimes money itself, and the people associated with money, uh, can become uh, a torture uh, to us. You can, you can kind of see how this, this can happen. Uh, I know a lot of people who are very intelligent, who have made incredible scores on their act tests, but it's almost as if after that, they're just a little bit above uh, serving as a Christian. So we have to be careful what, what Satan might use against us. All right. So both were victorious over uh, temptation. You want to add something to, to that idea? Anybody? Okay. So number three, uh, both suffered wrong for doing right. Number three, both Joseph and, and Jesus suffered wrong uh, for doing right. Joseph here in the case of Potiphar's wife, she lies, she lies, she tells against him, she, she makes it appear as if he had come with his advances, she tells her husband that, her husband becomes angry and casts Joseph uh, into prison. And then Jesus also uh, is accused of numerous things in his life, but he was simply uh, always doing good. I believe it's Mark 14 when they come to arrest Jesus. The latter part, maybe the last verse of Mark 14, where when they came to arrest Jesus there in the garden, he said, he said, I was in the temple every day teaching about God. Why didn't you arrest me then? You know, I think that's a great question. Why didn't you arrest me then? Well, he knew that their, their ideals were, were, you know, were deceitful. He, he knew their plans. They had to wait to just proper time or what they considered proper time to be able to get away with a, arresting him. But he was arrested for doing good. For doing good. They could not den deny his works. You know, um, what chapter is it in Matthew? Is it Matthew um, 12, I think it is, where they said, okay, you cast out demons, but you do it by the power of Beelzebub. You do it by the power of Satan. And oftentimes Jesus would heal somebody on the Sabbath day. And he would explain to them, look, those serving under the law, if, if their ox falls into a ditch, they're going to stop and get their ox out of the ditch, even on the Sabbath day. And uh, Jesus said, then, therefore, if I, if I have the opportunity to heal a man's hand or heal someone on the Sabbath day, then as the Son of God, I can do that uh, as well. But then they would, they would try to persecute him because he's doing these things on the Sabbath day. So that's kind of uh, interesting there. But both suffer wrong for, 
we're doing right. Turn your Bibles to uh, John chapter 10 for just a second. Let's just notice a little statement there. John 10. John 10. I encourage you to study this a little bit further. There's more to this than just what we're going to read. But it's interesting. Jesus had just made the incredible statement in John 10 verse 30. I and the Father are one. And when he said that, they knew he was making himself equal with God. So the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And then Jesus answered them. I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these good works are you going to stone me? Now they'll go ahead and argue with him. Hey, we're, we're stoning you not because of your good works, but because you're making yourself equal with God. But what a great statement. What a great question there from Jesus. For which of these good works do you stone me? And so Jesus suffered wrong for doing right as well. Number four, both had prophetic insight. Joseph with his dreams, and of course Jesus with all his predictions. I want you to help me with this. Joseph interpreted dreams. Whose dreams did Joseph interpret? The baker, the butler, and the pharaoh. The baker, the butler, and the pharaoh's dream. Okay, good. So there, the um, cupbearer, butler, was in prison down there with Joseph, as was the baker. They had done something offensive to Pharaoh. So they had dreams. Um, the cupbearer's dream was uh, a dream. There was a vine and three branches, and it, the branches just went crazy, clusters of grapes, and I dreamed that I was squeezing these grapes into Pharaoh's cup and, and giving it to him. And Joseph said, well, the three branches are three days, and so in three days you're going to be restored back to your position. And the baker, similar, three what bowls on his head, three cups on his head, full of food, and the birds came and ate out of those uh, basket, baskets of food. And uh, Joseph said, well, your interpretation is the three baskets are three days, and three days you're going to be hanged, and the birds are going to come and eat your flesh, which is something. But it all happened, and then, of course, the cupbearer, he gets back up there with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has this dream about how that there's going to be uh, seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. We're just kind of hurrying through this. But you remember those dreams in Jesus? Uh, Joseph interpreted those dreams and gave Pharaoh the advice to save all you can, put back things the first seven years, and then you'll be ready for the last seven years of famine. So jo- Joseph had prophetic insight. God gave that to him, and as did Jesus. So quickly, tell me some, some example of how Jesus was able to predict something, and we see it coming through. Coming through. Well, he predicted his death, absolutely, by the hands of the, of the Jews, Romans. What else? What else can you think of? Well, yeah, John 2, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Of course, he was talking about the temple being his body. They thought he was talking about the grand temple there in Jerusalem. He also told them that the temple would be destroyed, also that every stone in it would be torn down. All right, Matthew 24, 
Jesus predicted that the very city of Jerusalem would, would undergo a huge siege and the temple would be destroyed, and that did happen in A.D. Uh, 70. What about Peter? What did Jesus predict about Peter? Okay. Yeah, Miss Jane saying over here uh, that Peter would deny him three times before what? Before the cock Okay. So Jesus had great prophetic insight. You know, when when Philip went and got Nathaniel in John one. Jesus said, Behold an Israelite, and whom is no guile. And Nathaniel said, How do you know anything about me? I've never met you. He said, um, Well, before Philip came and got you, you were sitting under some kind of tree. What kind of tree was that? What? Big tree. Big tree. Okay. And so um, Jesus showed great, great insight um, just constantly. He knew what was in man. He could read the thoughts of men. He can still read our thoughts, uh, by the way. So great prophetic insight from both. Of course, Jesus was perfect and is perfect in all this. Number five, both gave credit to God. And I want us to see this specifically. Look in your Bibles to Genesis. I think this is really worth um, underlining. Genesis chapter uh, 40 in regard to the cupbearer's dreams. Uh, Genesis 40 and verse 8. They said to him, We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret. Joseph said, Do not interpretations belong to God. Belong to God. So tell them uh, to me. Then as they called him up to Pharaoh to try to interpret Pharaoh's uh, dreams of um, of the famine that's coming, Genesis 41, 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Not in me. It's in God. Uh, Again, verse 25, Genesis 41, 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about uh, to do. Notice that. And then notice um, down there in verse uh, 32, the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. And then Genesis 41:39, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is no, son, no, no one so discerning and wise as you are. I tell you what, when we have faith, it, it spreads to other people. Pharaoh is already beginning to show some confidence in Joseph's God as well. And so uh, both gave credit to God. It's a huge, it's a huge thought. It's a wonderful characteristic uh, for all of us to remember uh, in our daily lives. It causes us to be thankful, but also the way we express ourselves is very important. Look at John 7 for just a moment, please. Um, we'll look at an example, an example from the life of Jesus, giving credit to God. John 7, 14. Beginning in 14, John 7, 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it this man has learning when he's never really studied? And so Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine. 
that His who sent me, if anyone, will, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking from my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of Him who sent him is true, and in Him there is no falsehood. Wouldn't that be great if everybody could underline that verse? John seven eighteen. If you speak from your own authority, you're not seeking to glorify God. Folks, that's why we stick closely and reverently with our New Testaments. Okay? That's, that's the authority for us. And we don't go beyond, we, don't, we seek not to fall short or go beyond what the New Testament has for us. Okay? So both gave credit uh, to God. That would be number five. Number six, both were very tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. Um, you know this, when Joseph begins to see his brothers come to him, here in the book of Genesis, that he has to excuse himself, and he has to go out and cry. Um, I think the first instance here is uh, Genesis uh, 42. His brothers are forced to come to Egypt to buy food, and Joseph hears them uh, talking. And uh, in fact, it's interesting there in, in Genesis 42, 18 through 24, that they're actually having a guilty conscience about what they had done to their brother. And then it says there, uh, they didn't know, verse 23, Genesis 42, they didn't know Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. So he turned away from them and wept. He wept. And then later, as the brothers um, come back with Benjamin, notice in Genesis 43, 26 and following, that after Joseph speaks to them, verse 30 says he had to seek a place to go and weep. And he entered his chamber and he wept there for a while. Very tender-hearted. Very good man, but tender-hearted. Of course, Jesus the same way. You know, John eleven thirty-five says Jesus wept as he noticed the the family of Mary and Martha grieving over Lazarus. Uh, he wept for them. Also, Luke nineteen forty-one says Jesus wept over the sin of the city of Jerusalem as he headed into that city for the final time. And so, oftentimes, what causes tears? reveals our character. What causes our tears often reveals our character. It reveals what we truly care about. And so we need to be more like Joseph. Of course, be more like our Lord. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 that um, we're to be kind one, one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Both gave credit to God. Both were very tender-hearted. Number seven, both were forgiving and did not retaliate. We, we noticed that a little bit last week. Joseph, Joseph's brothers there in Genesis 50 were concerned that Joseph, after the, his father's death, might at that time decide to finally retaliate and treat them roughly. But of course, Joseph said, Am I in the place of God? Am I going to go against the plan of God? God obviously has, has worked this out toward um, the good of His movement, the good of His plan. 
So how am I to do that? So Jesus also, as he died on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23 and 34. So Joseph and Jesus, similar in their forgiving spirit they had, and the fact that they would never retaliate in kind to people. That, of course, is another great characteristic uh, for us to uh, have uh, dwelling in our lives as well. Can we be forgiving? Can we uh, learn to trust God? And if there's any, if there any, if there is any retaliation, God will take care of that. But let us seek for the salvation of everyone that we we can. So we've gone over number seven, number eight about the death, and then number nine. Both served under the plan of God. Both served under the plan of God. Again, just as a review, but such such a powerful statement. Genesis 50, Joseph says, verse 20, As for you, Genesis 50, 20, As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about many people who should be kept alive as they are today. And my, mem- my thoughts went to Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter explained to people about the death of Jesus, Acts 2 and 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Yeah, he just got crucified, but you Jews need to understand this was part of God's plan all along. And many of the Jews there on Pentecost, that was news to them. They they hadn't thought of it that way. Their view toward Jesus had been very different until, the, until Peter opened up the scriptures and showed them how all this had been prophesied. And this was being fulfilled right there in their eyes. Okay. So, thank you for working through uh, this worksheet and noticing these similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Maybe this will help us, first of all, to appreciate our Lord even more. And secondly to seek to add these characteristics uh, to our lives as well so that we can die with the kind of confidence that both Joseph and Jacob and especially Jesus uh, did. What do you think, Miss Julie? Glad to be back. What do you think about this? Yeah, they kind of connected way back, didn't they? Right. So they were, they knew this was wrong. Yeah. So they were complicit in it too. They were. And um, so it was all of a, a family-like thing. And then Esau married Ishmael's daughter. So. Right. Okay. What do you think, Brother Roger? Does this make sense? Yes, it sure does. Roger's saying it's a great Old Testament example, and Jesus is our New Testament example, and that's so very right. Okay. And so we'll take just about a one-minute little intercession here so we can get our devotional ready. We'll be having a 
devotional and invitation here in just about 60 seconds. 